The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Michelle Kwan. In 1996, the world was in the midst of a massive cultural movement that saw women finally taking center stage. Nowhere was this shift more apparent than at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta. This audience was the loudest thing I have ever heard in my life. The noise, everybody's cheering, and we see all these USA flags. It was the most important summer in women's sports history. And team after team after team, the U.S. women kept winning. Basketball, soccer, softball, gymnastics. I just said, give me mine. Like, give me mine. Join me for Dear Media's Summer of Gold, presented by Together. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Uh A meat, too. Anything that you're eating, quality ingredients matter so much. Everything we're seeing now is that calories in, calories out doesn't really matter. Like think about it in in the US, we've gone from eating zero ultra processed foods to half of our diet is now ultra processed foods. Half of our diet. Like if you just navigate a normal day in LA, how do you avoid hyper processed foods? It's almost impossible, right? They're in every granola bar, they're in most smoothies, they're in most you know foods that we take to go. So it's like when you start to seek out really nutrient dense, minimally processed foods, that's like the first great step to good health. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. That clip was from our guest of the show today, Anya Fernald. This is her second appearance. Highly suggest you go back and listen to the first if you have not. And she is definitely a favorite person of ours. She is the founder of Belcampo Meat Co., which is an incredible company, one of the only FDA-approved processing facilities, and butcher shops bringing farm-to-table dining experience. And on this episode, we go all over the place. Anya is a fascinating person. Lauren and I fell in love with her the first time that we had her on the show, and her story is just incredible. For those of you that are unfamiliar, Belcampo was founded with a purpose to create meat that's good for people, for the planet, for the animals, and Anya has been pioneering that. She is an entrepreneur. She is a badass. She is a wealth of knowledge. I'm going to keep this intro short because today I'm not joined by Lauren on the intro. We're out here busting our ass in New York, running around, trying to get these episodes out for you guys. But trust me, this episode does not fail to deliver. With that, for the second time, our friend Anya Fernald. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. The most interesting connection I've seen with diet and mood that's just new information for me is around fermented foods being connected to serotonin. So that's something I've done for mood is if I'm feeling bummed out, I'll literally hit the kimchi like a couple spoons in the morning, a couple spoons at night. But that is connected to serotonin, as is everything around microbiome and gut health. What brand? You know, I'm going to ask that. Oh, I love mother-in-laws mother-in-law. and then twins. Kimchi. Those are two SoCal brands. Can we do a burger with kimchi on it? Oh my God. It's got to be fried kimchi though. Have you ever had fried kimchi? Like not like deep fried, but you saute it and it kind of takes that real raw edge off of it. 
and it gets a little crispy and nommy and caramelized. And then that goes on the burger. Can we do a skinny confidential burger? <laughs> Wrapped <laughs> in lettuce with that. kimchi. Yes, yes. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. Okay. That's like the ultimate mood booster, right? Yeah, it sounds delicious. Were, did you crave kimchi and spicy fermented when you were pregnant? I love kimchi, but the problem is it's not one of those things that you think about when you're at the grocery store. But totally. now, because you just said that, I'm going to think about it. Michael's never had kimchi in his life. He doesn't even know what the fuck it is. No, I know what it is, but Lauren gets what some is really it, Michael? strong Tell us what kimchi. it is. I don't know like what it is. I know it's kimchi, but I don't eat what it. What is kimchi? I don't know. It's some kind of plant. It's, it's a cabbage, it's right? It's from Napa cabbage. Actually, it just means like pickle in Korean, but you can do it with radishes, cucumbers, and the most popular one's Napa People cabbage. People get mad at me. Like they think I'm making some like kind of like cultural like observation when I say kimchi really smells strong. Like, well, not, it does it smell just, strong. Like they, I don't think that's anything mean. No, but like, because, was the last time I, I said love like, the smell. it smells bad. People got mad. Like they were offended. Like I love the smell of kimchi. Yeah, but well, it's strong. It's pungent. Well, well, in okay. Michael's defense, I like to eat it in the car when like we're driving to the airport. So that's probably why <laughs> I'm a it. car kimchi stacker too. Listen, I think are you person, serious? I do the same thing. The I'm super weird eating kimchi it in the car. Is like I don't think it gets the effect of the person not eating. When you're just smelling kimchi well, in a car. All of us culturally love and understand the fermented foods that we grew up with. The fermented foods that are one continent away we usually find repulsive. That's interesting. Okay, so like natto in Japan, uh-huh. kimchi, those are things that most Americans will find repulsive in the same way that a Korean might find like Stilton or some heavy blue cheese, like absolutely nauseating. How can you eat that? But think about it. Fermented foods are like this linchpin of health. So of course we learn to override our dislike, our natural inborn dislike of extremely strong, funky things. We learn to love it growing up because it's very healthful for us, but we don't learn to love it across the board because it's still like something smells like it's rotted your instinct is like, stay away. I don't want to eat rotted food. But we learn to override that with the health-giving fermented foods that are part of our culture. So it's natural. It's not at all judgmental that you're like, yeah, kimchi. I mean, if you had that fermented shark that they eat in Iceland or whatever, you'd probably think it was revolting too, or natto's. You know, these are things that you can say, it's actually really culturally appropriate that you have an aversion to a semi-rotted food. Yeah, it's kind of and like you what, just over learn to overcome that with the cheeses that you love. It's kind of US. like what my body's done with tequila and Campari. Right? <laughs> it's just it's evolved to to crave these things. You you <laughs> mentioned shark. I'm a never allowed to eat a shark ever because baby shark is playing in our house over and over and over. I think if I eat a shark, that'll set her over the edge. I have a question for you that I've been wanting to ask you for so long. So since our last episode, which you guys all have to go listen to because it's amazing. Since I've been eating the Bell Campbell burger so much, I noticed that we were in Palm Springs and I wanted to stop by In-N-Out and I got an In-N-Out burger, which I used to love, but I found it gross. Why is it because I'm eating like a higher quality meat and I'm used to that? I mean, I love In-N-Out, so it was very weird. Well, first off, I'd say kudos to In-N-Out. It's a great brand and they do a lot more of the supply chain than anybody else at a large scale. So they actually grind their own four quarters of the animals for their burgers. So I have a lot of respect for that brand. I think though, the major difference that you're probably getting accustomed to in our meat, and I'll just speak broadly about conventional meat, right? Which is the baseline there. It has to do with the availability of omega-3s and the solubility. Grass-fed and finished meat, be it from Belcampo or any other quality grass-fed and finished purveyor, I'm talking about beef here, it has a typically one-to-one to one-to-four omega-3s to omega-6 ratio. Conventional beef can be one-to-twenty to one-to-thirty. The optimal for human health is like one-to-four. So when you're eating beef that is conventionally raised, 
you're getting a lot more omega-6s for every omega-3 that you get. Omega-6s are inflammatory and you will get that that feeling, right? What's that feeling that we get in our tummies where we're like, don't feel terrible, don't feel great. That's a, a mild inflammation Like you can shit your pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that experience there, that might be a reaction to that kind of, that slightly different fat profile. And then we also like love what we become accustomed to. So I, I know a lot of you will find a grass-fed burger off-putting the first or second or third time because it's stronger flavored. It has more beefy flavor. Hunters, though, think that our meat isn't flavorful enough. They're like, this doesn't have any flavor, right? I'm a fan of our beef because it's got like a great, robust flavor to it. But that's something that you get used to. And then once you're accustomed to that, you want that. And your body also associates that that anticipation of that flavor with like a great feeling of satiety and a certain nutritional hit. When you have a different experience, your body's going to react differently. That makes sense. Everything you just said, there was like so many aha moments where I was like, okay, that makes total sense. Good. A meat too, anything that you're eating, quality ingredients matter so much. Everything we're seeing now is that calories in, calories out doesn't really matter. Like think about it in, in the US, we've gone from eating zero ultra processed foods to half of our diet is now ultra processed foods. Half of our diet. Like if you just navigate a normal day in LA, how do you avoid hyper processed foods? It's almost impossible, right? They're in every granola bar. They're in most smoothies. They're in most, you know, foods that we take to go. So it's like when you start to seek out really nutrient-dense, minimally processed foods, that's like the first great step to good health. Yeah. And well, and I would argue places like LA, New York, some of the coasts, like they have, do you have access to more of, or to more of the quality foods, right? And so like when you start talking about other places in the country and in the world, like your options are even more limited in my, in my personal opinion, especially now, like split time between two places. Yeah. No. And it's, that's where I think it's, everything is really stacked against you. It's like, you have to be like a ninja to navigate the American available food landscape. And you're right. We have a lot of access here on the coast. And if you head even to the central Valley in California, you have a hell of a lot less. Right. So it's like the challenge then like the socioeconomic barriers, the access to information barriers, the extra time that it takes those are massive barriers, but it's like right now with the health issues that we're having as a result of eating so many hyper-processed foods, it's like we're driving a hundred miles an hour towards a wall. Yeah. No, I think like I try to find the silver lining in anything and it's, it's hard obviously with the, the last year that we've all had in this well, in the world now, but I do think that it is a time where people are starting to be a little bit more health conscious and think about how they exercise, what they put in their bodies, what like how they sleep. Oh, there's a lot of things that I think people were just taking for granted that not everybody, but a lot of people. And now they're like, okay, I got to focus on what I put in my body, what I do for exercise. Like there's a, there's a big emphasis on health. Now, at least everybody I know that's in that field is seeing like a spike and either sharing more information or their businesses are taking off. I think it's interesting too. COVID gave us pause. It gave us a minute where we had a little bit, like we were all freaking out, but we had a minute to sort of reflect on where we were at. I think a lot of people got more in tune with like cooking a little bit more, being at home a little bit more, a few more hobbies or things that brought them a sense of wellness and peace and also kind of like self-soothing in a pretty stressful time. There's so much pressure right now. And it's like, you're going to get healthy. It's like, try this product, try that product, try this product. It's like, no, actually fewer products and more food like more actual real basic food, like wholesome food. That's really what we're lacking right now. 50% of our available calories are a type of food that's functionally toxic for our bodies. So what are some things that you eat on a day-to-day basis that you think are just really not processed, whole, amazing foods? Meat. 
Besides me, is <laughs> yeah, there yeah, anything no, else? Maybe walk us through a day in a life of your schedule because you were telling me off air that you stop eating at five o'clock. And I think the audience would really be interested to hear your fasting schedule. Maybe even we like details. So maybe tell us like what time you have your coffee, your tea, like whatever. We'd love to hear. What okay. We- I try to eat in a window between 11 and five. And I like to be able, I love to eat a lot and feel full and have a big, like satiating meal. So I like that kind of reduced window because it allows me to like really enjoy my meals as opposed to like a little bit of this, a little bit of this kind of spread out over hours. Also, the longer window of like five at night until 11 then the next day gives me that nice long intermittent fasting. So I'm really hungry for my first meal. So I usually start with like a lot of eggs, like four eggs with a bunch of veggies. I'll use kimchi. I'll use whatever leftover vegetables I've made for the kids, like a big veggie something with a lot of eggs in it. And I'll add something fermented to that sauerkraut or kimchi on top. I sometimes will put like even creme fraiche or Parmesan cheese, something like that to make it even richer, or I'll put olive oil on top. I like the satiety that fat gives me. I also think, you know, it's, I notice when I'm on a higher fat diet, that's great for my skin. Uh, my skin health. So I like, I'm not afraid to eat like a healthy amount of my calories from, from fat. And then I'll have snacks like nuts, cheese, whatever, yogurt, things that if I might want during the day, and then I'll hit a dinner that's typically meaty. I eat about a pound of meat a day on average. How much should I just eat within that burger? You ate, let's see, two, three point. So you ate seven ounces. Seven ounces. So close to half a pound. So three more ounces is a pound. Oh, that's yeah, not that much. It's not that much. So it I mean, sounds it's like, like a lot, but it's not that much. Two of those bigger burger patties. So you ate. No, you ate, you ate about half of what? So if you oh, had I two, ate about half. So if I ate another one, yeah, that's about what you eat every day. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then I'll do for dinner time big chunk of meat, ground meat or meatballs, and then a lot of veg. And then I also, you know, I'll eat rice, a little bit of pasta bread, avocado, other things like that, you know, kind of healthier. I love really good bread. I'm in the Bay Area. I love Josie Baker in LA. I'm always buying tartine, you know, not all the time, but like with some avocado on it, some meat, et cetera. So I like to have big filling meals that have all the food groups in them. I'm not afraid of some carbohydrates. I do try to avoid eating too much fruit and I try to drink no calories. No wine. I do not drink wine anymore. What do you drink? I don't drink anything really. I drink it very occasionally, but that's something in my 40s. I'm 46. And it's like, at a certain point, it just got really unpleasant for me. I've heard a lot of women say that. Sharon Stone said that too. She said when she hit 40, she like loved to drink and then she like got over it. It starts to like, it hangovers kill you. Yeah, the hangovers are. And for like two or three years, I was that really neurotic like bring like this wine or that wine, or it has to be from here. And then I just said like, just give up. Just like kombucha is great. <laughs> I just don't have as much fun drinking anymore as I used to. Right? Like I was telling Lauren the other day, I'm like, it doesn't serve me as it used to, especially now with the kid, like waking up hungover at six in the morning when the kid needs the kid to get up and do something. Yeah. It's the most parents out there know. It's the most I, miserable I don't know thing. If some people just don't have this hangover thing, but most people I know in their forties are just like this, it just starts to be a big bummer. It's just not worth the pain. If I even smell alcohol, I'm hungover for a week these days. Yeah. I, I, I ran too hard when I was younger. Now I'm, I'm paying the price. Now. I remember I, I, like I lived in Italy. Mint. Like, just one weed mint. It's like a little weed edible well, and I just take it and it just relaxes me and puts me to sleep and I wake up with no hangover. Wow. Yeah, it works really well. I've just kind of the past, it wasn't like I made a decision or went cold turkey. And I still with, if I'm with girlfriends, we're drinking wine, totally I'll drink some wine. But like, I just, it sort of phased out of my life. And you know, it's like too, you guys run a business, I run a business. It's like, you're busy. You want to get up and kill it. And I started to do things like, 
Like I've noticed too with my girlfriends, like I, I have a sauna now. I'm doing like sauna and ice. Like I'm getting together socially with people in different ways too, because I just was realizing too many friendships in my 30s were like, let's get together, have a glass of wine. I'm like, well, at a certain point that that's sort of a short road for me. So I try to find things that are different for me to do with people too. Well, 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 here we are again talking about my favorite multivitamin, a multivitamin that I have been talking about for years. I took it through my pregnancy, before my pregnancy, post-pregnancy. I take it now. And that is Ritual. You know it. You trust it. You've seen it all over Instagram. Well, they just launched a protein powder, okay? I'm very specific about the protein powders that I consume. I feel like so many of them have Xanax gum or all these nasty added artificial ingredients. And I was very excited to learn that Ritual does not. They are the best. This is delicious plant-based protein. It has 20 grams of pea protein plus a complete amino acid profile. It's made with all the essentials to help fill common dietary gaps. How I like to use it is I'll put it in a blender. And then I take a frozen banana because I find that it gives a better consistency if it's a frozen banana as opposed to ice. I'll do a little bit of almond milk, some spinach. I add spirulina to it, make it nice and green. It's a great source of plant protein and it's delicious. Okay. It tastes like vanilla. You can take it during pregnancy, postpartum, 50 plus, whatever. There's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. And like all ritual products, essential protein is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with no GMOs. I think it's very important to do your research on whatever protein powder you're consuming. This one's made with traceable ingredients. So you know exactly what you're putting in your body and why. You can see their whole supply chain on their website. The website really breaks down everything. It's super seamless. So why not shake up your ritual? To make trying something new less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, All Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners get 10% off during your first three months. You're going to visit ritual.com slash skinny to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash skinny. I would also highly recommend stocking their vitamin section. It is good. I love that. That's really cool. I love to hear that. What? Tell us about your wellness, your sauna, your ice. I want to know. All, I, I bet you have a whole setup. I know how you are. So it's probably. Like, yeah, very I have cool. a setup. I put it in during COVID. It was my major like self-care investment during COVID for sure. You know, we were all at home. I started working out at home and I put in an, an ice bath and a sauna. And then I have a little gym there. But I love it. I have been just like every day I do 10 or 12 minutes in ice when I can. Well, that's a long time. It feels amazing. It's really good for, I notice it helps like belly fat, all the little like jiggly fats for sure. Um, it helps tighten you up and it gives you so much energy. I come out of there like full of joy, really excited. It helps me with recovery. It's an investment, but I also see it like, well, I'm saving, I'm not like a member of a gym anymore. Like I'm cutting costs in other ways. And then I also notice that all the little like rinky dink things that I used to do more for like little shot in the arm of taking care of myself, like a manicure or a massage, I'm not doing it anymore because I've got this like built in thing. It's like crack cocaine. What's your ice bath brand and what's your sauna brand? That it's you like? Morosco is the ice bath. Okay. It's the one that makes the sheets of ice. Okay. So you actually get in and there's like clinking around ice. I also love the plunge is another fantastic one that I've used a bunch. That's the one we just got the cold plunge. Amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah. The plunge is fantastic. Everyone can use code skinny too, if you want a discount. <laughs> oh, awesome. Plunge. Yeah. They're a fantastic brand. And the sauna is a Dundalk. 
Dundle. Is it an Dundle? indoor or outdoor sauna? It's everything's outdoor. Sauna. Wait, outdoor. so is it like the wood barrel sauna? It's like the same thing, but it's a little hut. It's. A, I'm probably going to text you for a picture. Got two layers, and then I took I the temperature saying. regulation thing away. We, we're redoing so our yard right now, so I got to get your number because I want to figure out. Oh what, what's wait, you took to the, the temperature regulation and goes to 230 degrees. Oh wow! Is you that really hot? Freaking cook. It's yeah, but you so sweat good. it all out and so you nice. You feel so good afterwards. You're just like, everything's in perspective. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, this is all going to be okay. You got to take it to the next level. Get a, get, do what Laird does and get a, a salt bike yeah. in there and go. Yeah, and then also you'll find too, I think like for me, if I've got a big call in the morning and I'm like, okay, I got to just like get in there and really get into the head. Your body can be in ice water for a long time with, without dying or really suffering. It's all in your mind. And I started to do this like I was during COVID because I was, very anxious. It's like, what's happening with the business? Kids aren't in school. Like everything is upside down. So I started going to a river, like a snowmelt river near me in Northern California every couple of weeks with some friends and the kids. And we, I would just do immersions in the river and I would just come out of there. I'm like, okay, everything's in perspective. I feel this wash of joy. At, I, it, it made me emotional. Like I wouldn't like cry, but I just felt the sense of release in the water. And then I realized like, well, it's actually more about the cold temperature than it is about, I mean, the nature and stuff is great too, but there's something about this major kind of like release that you feel in the cold water and you just feel kind of like peaceful because you've shown yourself that you can manage your emotions to something really stressful, you know, and then you can head into the next thing. But it's all about these like getting an ice bath for your house or plunge is like, that's a big investment. But these things too, that you're like taking this really, like, I love that in my home now I'm like, this is like a monument to like mom taking care of herself to like what I'm doing with my, and I also love that I'm showing that to, to my kids. And it's like a nice way to say, Hey, this is a big step of like, we, we take care of ourselves and we're like planning on not getting sick. And if you're hurt your shoulder, you hurt your knee when you're working out, you get in that thing three or four minutes, you're fine. What I love the most about it is it's what you said. It's that mental clarity, right? It's that like proving to yourself that you can do hard, uncomfortable things. I think, and, and I've gotten some flack for saying this, but one thing that this year has proven is like for many of us, we've been lured into this like false sense of safety, right? As infrastructure has been built up and technology has grown, we've gotten to this place where we feel like we should always, like everything should always be comfortable and we should feel safe all the time. And I think what this year proved is like, human beings are fragile. The society's mm -hmm. fragile. Like we're not always safe. And so you have to do things to mentally challenge yourself and put yourself in these positions where it's like, okay, I can do that. I can get through that. Cause I think that a lot of what we've seen is people freaking out because they haven't had to deal with like the hardships of life. Well, resilience yep. societally, we have not prioritized resilience. It's like we created so much ease that we make ourselves sick with ease. Yeah. It's almost like people are shocked when bad things happen. Right? I They're think like, I can't believe that would happen. It's like, well, this has been happening through millennia, right? Like yeah. humans have had it terrible for, we, we're still, I still say, even with everything going on, like we're still safer than we've ever been. Right. And we're still living longer than we've ever lived. It's more amazing that things weren't happening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? Like in the broader scheme of human history, it's more surprising that massive messes like we've had in the yes. past and we continue to have not happened. I think too, what you said about the ice bath, it's so true. Tony Robbins says this too. If you can wake up first thing and put yourself in an uncomfortable position, like getting in an ice bath or a freezing cold shower, you're so right. It does set perspective. And the rest of the day, you're like, I got this. It's a little test. I think about it with kids. You're like, you can do this. You can do this. And you make it through. You set the timer. I get my tunes out there. And it's like, I actually just feel like I overcame something. Absolutely. And I, I also think the physical benefits are real too, with joint health and with metabolism. I also love the block of time that you can take for reflection while you're doing that. You can't really hold your phone in a bath. Um, you can't use your phone really in the sauna. It's like you really kind of takes you a minute to like peace out from that stuff. But I think any rituals that people have 
right? It's all about establishing, as you get older, establishing rituals and practices, habits that are really healthy. You know, and that's something I don't think we get enough guidance around, like as entrepreneurs, like we are, or just growing up in life. Like we, people don't say like, hey, start investing in like really healthy habits that bring you joy. And they, and that's something I'd say to everybody, like whatever it is, if it's a hike, if it's a hit workout, if it's a certain ritual, like start investing in habits that bring you joy. I mean, one habit for me that brings me so much joy, which is so stupid, but like I get up in the morning and I have a big hand grinder and I like hand grind my coffee that's and cool. then I boil my water and I like make my coffee. I always was like, why do I know it's not the best grinder, coffee snobs, like fancier grinders. I know it's like not the very best coffee. Why? And I just like, why do I do this? And it's like, well, it's a, it's a healthy habit. I get some movement. I get it first thing. And it's like, it's a habit that brings me joy. So like stack together five of those that start of your day. And you're all of a sudden like going to be in a better position to conquer the day. What is your specific morning routine and nighttime wind down? At like, what time do you wake up? I'm very interested because you're such an entrepreneur and a hustler. And there's so many people out there listening who really want to set up their mornings and their nights for success mm-hmm. in the middle of that. Absolutely. So for me, first thing is morning sunshine. I go out in the garden, look at the sun, drink my coffee. If I'm feeling hungry, I'll put coconut oil or butter in it. Other than that, I just drink it black until I break my fast at 11. I have recently started doing a 12 minute hit routine every morning. I try to get that done like before eight. Then I, which is just the usual things, I just mix it up. I just do three sets of hit stuff just to get my heart going. I repeat that again in the evening. And then my kids usually wake up around like 7.30 make them breakfast, have our together time. And then I'll try to get an ice bath and sauna before I start working. So in that morning time, I I love waking up when it's just dawn and getting outside and watching the sunrise and having that downtime. I don't really think about very much, but it's like very restful. And as I go to bed, I think about like looking forward to that. And then I'm usually powering through at my desk and working, running around, doing things until five or six I kick out another hit workout. At the end of the day, I usually throw some heavier weights in to that as well. So I do two little workouts, one in the morning and one in the evening. That is such a great idea. You it's get so your, much You easier. get your workout in and it's like separates it. And it doesn't stress you out because you're not like, oh, I need 45 minutes. So I just do 12 minutes and 12 minutes. And if I have extra time, take the dog for a run, do some weights or whatever. And then I do, usually I do sauna in the evening. I don't do ice again in the evening. Sauna is more for winding down. And then for nighttime routine, I cook my kids dinner. I really spend like family time and I'll be in bed by 9.30 and off screens by 8. I know it's so nice to be in bed early. It took me a long time to own that. Like I'm just a dork. I just like to go to bed early and I like to wake up early. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than getting in bed early. Why don't I I, like high five each other? We we get in bed at 9.30 and go like, (laughs) like, it's like like better than any party. So you don't, you're not on your electronics. Maybe we can talk about this. In bed, you're off at 8. I try to be. It doesn't always happen if stuff's blowing up or I've got to deal with something. Do you wake up and check your phone ever? I try not check it until I've done my morning time and my coffee. Because otherwise, if there's bad news, it's like there's no good outcome. If it's bad news, I'm stressed out. If it's good news, nothing got better than my morning coffee and my sunshine, right? What do you guys think? And also it's a to-do list of everyone else of what you have to do. It puts you into a mode of being reactive and not proactive. A hundred percent. And your best thoughts and your best self as an entrepreneur, it's about being proactive. Your team wants you to lead with great ideas. That's something too, as an entrepreneur and in general, it's like, one of the things you can do for your business is take really good care of yourself. Same thing in partnership. One thing you can do for your partner is take really good care of yourself, right? It's like 
I think there's this model, like the Wall Street model, you see these guys and they're like at the at their top of their career and they're like dumpster fire of health. Not all of them, but there's a model in corporate America that we're like we grind ourselves, we're out drinking martinis every night, we're inflamed and sick. I love that we're kind of in this next generation reinventing what it means for entrepreneurship and saying you can come forward and shine and be full of creativity and be very vital and you can lead with that energy. We all know I am a crazy psycho about my morning routine. So normally it takes you 15 minutes to shower in the morning. But what I did is I tried to optimize that 15 minutes. So what I do is I do 10 minutes of Wim Hof breath work in front of my juve. I got the one that is so big. It's standing up, but it's super chic. And it radiates this red light, which has tons of benefits, which we'll get into. And I do my 10 minutes of breath in front of the juve and it kick starts my day. I cannot even tell you what a big difference. If you want, you can get a little handheld one, like a little travel size one. There's lots of different ways to implement red light therapy into your life. It does not have to be the standing one. Just a little background, Juve is the top light therapy brand, and now they have new and improved devices, okay? It is the leading light brand. So the benefits, like I said, is it increases circulation and blood flow. So that's why you get that energy. But what's so crazy is at night, I swear it like works on your circadian rhythm because I can wind down to it too. It also treats pain and strain and it's really anti-inflammatory. So if you're looking for a light that works on inflammation, this is it. I cannot recommend it enough. Michael does it. If you want to start with a Juve, I would recommend the new Juve Go. It's great because it's affordable. It's battery powered. And like I said, you can take it anywhere. It fits in the palm of the hand. You can use it wherever, whenever. So you can use code skinny for an exclusive discount. I have used my own code before because I'm so obsessed. And if you're looking for a new Juve, I have exciting news. You're going to go to juve.com slash skinny. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash skinny and use code skinny. You'll get an exclusive discount on Juve's next generation devices. Exclusions apply, limited time only. And if you want to know more, I wrote a whole blog post on it. Just Google the skinny confidential Juve. A hundred percent. And what you said earlier too about the home, I think before COVID, I don't think we really valued our home like we do now. I think everyone was looking for all this outside stuff. And now at, what, at least in my experience, I've realized, wait a minute, I don't want my home to be this like stopping place where I go in. I want my home to be somewhere like a sanctuary with health and wellness mm-hmm. and like I want it to be somewhere that I want to be all the time. And so that's been an interesting shift too that I've seen. What have you changed about your home to achieve that? Well, we moved states. Yeah. (laughs) Because here our home was like very much like you run in, you run out, you grab things. Now our home is like... We were looking at like the differences in what we have, what we had before. It was like very much like you could just, you walk in, it's like, it doesn't feel... We have like like a bachelor pad and now we have like, now we have like warmth. That's how I would... Everything's like wood and earth tones and grounding. We we go for a walk every morning. We put our feet in the sand, like, you know what I mean? Or not the sand, the uh, dirt. But like, I just think that like, it's more sanctuary vibe. Totally. Yeah. For me, something I've started doing in the past year is getting way more into gardening. And in the morning I'll get up and I'll just like walk around and like, trim a little bit of stuff or like check in on things and observe and listen to birds. And like before COVID, it's like I got out of bed and I was like a cannon, like a cannonball shot out of a cannon. 
like get the kids ready, take the shower, do maybe a little workout, get into the car, get to the office. And it was just like this whole idea that I could actually take a little bit of a morning moment and like look at a plant and, and take it down a notch. It's really changed the role of home for me. It's also made me think, I went from somebody didn't really think that working from home worked for most people to saying, I don't know if I could ever work back in an office again. I think a lot of people are in that boat as well. That's really interesting that you just brought up gardening. I actually have been reading a lot about how much gardening helps with mental health. If someone wants to start a garden, which we do, I'm sure there's people listening that do, what are some little tips and tricks? Like, should we get certain plants or seeds or herbs? What would you start with? Get like three wine barrel containers. That's all you need. Big wooden ones, you can get them on Ace Hardware. They're inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Buy some good organic potting soil and start with like, do one with like three or four different herbs put two or three tomato plants in another one and plant like zucchini or cucumber in the third one. And you'll have a lot of fun with that. Like trying to get some things. Those are all gratifying, easy plants that you can incorporate into your cooking. And then if you have kids like like we do, I love it that I can tell my son, like, go get the pizza herb. And he goes out and gets the basil. Mm-hmm. And I always encourage them, like, smell it before you pick it, like encouraging that sensory education. So there's so much that you can do with that. And then if you plant like a zucchini, you can use the flowers to make stuff. Zucchini blossoms, you can have fun with that too. But the gardening part, it's like, it's so peaceful for me. And it's it, it absolutely has that reaction. I also have been reading along those lines about fire and creating human connection around fire and relaxation. So actually campfires have massively lower cortisol levels and they also facilitate emotional connection with people that you share. All these things that like our grandparents just sort of did, right? Because we've been doing lots more fire time. We have a little fire pit outside and we do like just on a Wednesday night, it's like whatever, it's summertime, we'll light a couple of twigs and like you can't like do some marshmallows or cook something. And, and that's something too, where I've really noticed it's like that everything downshifts, the gardening downshifts, the campfire downshifts, and they're cheap and easy things to access. This well, is good news it, because we're getting ready to do all of these things. That's why we're, we're redoing the whole We're popping like, on everything. Yeah. Oh, nice. I'll <laughs> yeah. give you a good fire pit. Yeah, let me, let me know. You know, what's interesting though, is gardening and fire are both from the earth. And so when you're touching the soil and stuff, that's grounding. And when you're around the fire, I mean, it's probably similar ions or benefits. What we're also talking about the things that reconnect us to food making. So we started out this conversation saying ultra processed foods. All those things came from convenience right? Ultra processing means you don't have to worry about refrigeration. You don't have to worry about, you can put that stuff in the pantry and pick it up in three years and you'll be fine. It's just as bad as it was on day one, right? But every, all these conveniences took us away from like the drudgery. So I think of it almost as like enlightened domesticity, right? Or like domesticity for wellness. There are certain things like, if you think about it, like an ice bath is actually just a bath, right? These are things that are like kind of part of the domestic sphere that if we like broaden the understanding of what wellness can be, There's lots of very healthy aspects of just food preparation and broader health that can be incorporated into your wellness routine. So I would challenge is like, do you need to go to a spa or do you need to have that getaway weekend? Or can you like actually find spaces and green spaces in your own? In the same way that I love it when people put like a shrine in their home and they have a place where they can downshift and like a clear space for meditation or relaxation. Like there's lots of things you can do in your home sphere that actually create opportunities for wellness that are really economic like like it's very achievable. I agree, Michael. So don't make fun of me when I I actually ordered. <laughs> you're gonna laugh a wood shrine so to meditate in front of. <laughs> Michael, you're me. on board with it though. No, don't on, act like I'm you on are. board. It's just I want to like stick to like one or two or three things. Instead no, of I want. I want things. like no. She's Anya's right. Like all around the house, have little things because we're having a little bit of a problem because the baby's addicted to screens. 
She grabs the phone. She wants the TV. She yeah. wants the movies. And I want to like get her like out of that. You have to be really careful because, you know, the problem with like video games for kids is that they get them onto a dopamine cycle where their reward system gets so tied to the video games that they don't get as much pleasure out of like a PB&J or a trip to the pool. Yep. You know, so you see this all the time. If I was asked my kids, do you want to play Minecraft? Do you want to go to the pool? They're like, Minecraft, right? And the pool is really fun for kids though, right? And they love it there. So it's really challenging to, to have those boundaries around it. You have to remember too that your kids watch you every stinking minute. They're looking at you. So that's where I think the, the boundaries around using your phone for yourself and your wind down time is like find a way during that time that you're doing meal prep or dinner time with her that the phone's totally out of the picture. Yeah, I started reading again on, like I love reading on a Kindle or a screen, right? But you gotta easy. be careful of the Kindle. But, well, that's what I'm saying. So what I realized was she's watching me sit there with the screen in the Kindle reading. So what I, I went back to switch to hard, like to hardcover mm -hmm. books, right? Yeah. Because I figure, okay, maybe she can watch me read paperback or hardcover. And that's not the same as a screen, but she'll, like, I would want her to adopt that behavior of picking up a book and reading as opposed to picking up a screen. Yeah. It also makes it more exciting for her when you're picking up a book to read with her. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. I mean, the garden's a great idea for her age though. She's 18 months. Like you can get her involved in that. She can plant it, plant sunflower seeds. Kids love planting those and pushing them to the ground. Those are like, you can watch them grow. You can eat the sprouts. You're making you want to go back to Austin right now. Come I, wanted, on. I wanted to like switch gears here and talk to you about something because we haven't had a chance to connect like pre, like the last time we connected in, in depth like this was pre-pandemic. And obviously you're running a business that has brick and mortars food, restaurants. Mm -hmm. how, how did you navigate all of that? Man, COVID was really challenging for the entire industry, for the restaurant industry. Bell Campo, the company that I co-founded and I'm now the board chair of, like the start of the pandemic, I had to shut down two restaurants immediately, both of which were in large malls. And we just didn't think malls were going to work out. And everything was really in balance. We just didn't know. You know, remember at the start of COVID, wasn't clear if there was going to be funding or how things were going to work out. So we ended up shutting two restaurants of our seven immediately. And we had two kind of catering kitchens that we shut down as well. Um, we had to lay off a lot of staff, very heartbreaking. Our New York restaurant, we shut down just a year after opening it, less than a year after opening it. So a huge amount of work and blood, sweat and tears had gone into that. It was heartbreaking. And it, we then in our locations in California, we have five really leaned into food delivery. And as, I was fortunate that our food, you know, is mostly burgers and like meaty salads is pretty well adapted to takeout. So we were able to to pivot to that and actually sustain our revenues throughout the, the pandemic. We launched an e-commerce business as well, pretty small. And we were able to take advantage of some of the ebbs and flows, but we launched that and then we continued to sell through grocery as well. So the answer is like we weathered it like everybody did, being super resilient, pivoting a lot, very stressful time. I think for everyone above all, just like worker safety, Yeah, you know, like having, cause we also, we have a farm and we have a USDA slaughterhouse and our USDA slaughterhouse like all slaughterhouses, it's an environment really conducive to disease because it's refrigerated and cold. So it's a place where the virus thrives. We never, God bless, had an outbreak. But anytime we had employees who thought they've been exposed, we had to proactively quarantine. And so we were constantly swapping people in and out. It was a very complex time. That said, there's aspects of that time, Michael, where it was like, maybe the most exciting and interesting time of my career, you know, to have like endless curveballs, have people really paying attention to health and wellness, which is a big platform, Sure, interested in the climate. And then I had a planned transition out of being the operational CEO 
And I'd hired at the, we'd been hiring at the start of the pandemic a new CEO. So in the midst of that, I transitioned to being co-CEO and then being board chair during the pandemic. So that's also like, there's an opportunity for growth, you know, like getting out of the day-to-day operations. You're smarter than me. I should have done this. I should have got a CEO for, for the pandemic. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> it's so interesting too. It's like you look your ego in the eye so yeah. much, right? Because you all of a sudden handing off the day-to-day reins to somebody and you're like, oh, wait a second. I need to be involved in every decision or do I? What's the best and highest usage? So there's been some soul searching for me around like, what's my best and highest usage? How do I add the most value? And then fortunately, the guy that we brought on is like a far better CEO than I'll ever be. I mean, incredibly like logistics mastermind already scaling the e-commerce business in a really smart way has rationalized the products, made fewer products that are better. I mean, he's done a great job and we work as a team. So I've learned a lot from him, but I have to say that's been like one of the more like the, so it's a, a year of real highs and lows in 2020. It's 2021, and I feel like everyone is about mental health. This is super personal to me. I've had a lot of family members struggle with mental health. So to know that there's a platform online that assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist is insane. I think this is such a cool concept. To be able to connect in a safe and private online environment is convenient, it's efficient, and it's effective. And that is all done through BetterHelp. So you can start communicating in under 48 hours with your own licensed professional therapist. So you should know that this is not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. It actually is professional counseling done securely online. You can just do it all from the comfort of your couch, which is really, really incredible. And you can connect one-on-one. It's way more affordable. I know when I was young and I was going to therapy, it was breaking the bank. So to know that it's easy to access and that they have financial aid is incredible. The service is available for clients worldwide and the licensed professional counselors deal with depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, self-esteem, all the things. So you can go there and just get this outlet that's super helpful. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional, affordable. Like I said, I am a big advocate of therapy if it's done right. I have had a lot of therapy in the past that was really beneficial. So to be able to share better help is really powerful. And I hope if you know any friends or family members who are struggling, you can let them know about this platform. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a Skinny Confidential, him and her listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com skinny. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash skinny. Drop into my DMs and let me know how it goes. I think you're going to love it. I mean, you have a very good way of looking at it, saying that it was one of the best times of your career because I, I feel kind of the same way. Like you you deal with the, like at some point, and I don't care what business you're in, like if, if you're running a successful business, but it's the same thing over and over, it's redundant. Like you get joy out of having a successful business, but at some point it stops kind of challenging you. Right. And I think a lot of people like you have two ways to go. The people that they get challenged and they get flustered and it breaks them down. You have the other people that's like constantly looking to challenge themselves. And again, like I, I couldn't run a business or be part of something if I wasn't getting challenged in some kind of way. Not mm-hmm. saying I want to crash and burn or deal with every hardship, but yeah. I wouldn't want to just do the same thing repetitively over and over. Well, I loved to, in in COVID, by sort of month two, I had the sense just by usage of our app. So we had an app 
we'd had 3,000 users at the start of the pandemic. A month in, we had like 23,000 users. Our email newsletter is going through the roof. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're seeing this like compression of consumer adoption of new technology. And it felt to me like every month in COVID was like three to five years of consumer, of a fast forward button on consumer comfort with things. Nobody, we'd, we'd left behind the idea strategically for Belcampa to pursue e-commerce because it's like, well, the meat's quite expensive. People are going to be afraid to buy it and have it thaw on their doorstep. There's no way that this is going to have the adoption. Then all of a sudden, it's like everyone's working from home. Nobody wants to deal with the friction of the grocery store. It's like, wow, this door just opened up. Was that door going to open up at some point? Hell yeah, of course. Like, yeah, it was you coming know, regardless, but Maybe 15 years from now, yeah. you know? And the technology wasn't there yet. So it was just like, and then all of a sudden, they, the people started to really get comfortable with food being delivered to their home. We got better at making food show up at their home. Perfect. So there was just like this chance to learn and grow, which was exhilarating. And then it was, you know, the counterbalance was at a time of huge suffering in a, and huge stress. And, and people really suffered from anxiety as well. So there was a lot of different factors to it. But I say from an entrepreneurship perspective, I feel like it was probably as exhilarating and interesting and challenging in the best ways as any experience in my career. And then also kind of prolonged. It, it, it's been so interesting. Because well, there's no playbook, right? Yeah. And there's so much opportunity. You really got the sense too. It's like anytime the, the ways are rocky, it's like make the path more clear and push a little harder. And I'm not sure if you found this, Michael, but I found so much more focus. Well, I think like what it, like like I said, it either kind of like breaks you or forces you to find that focus and resilience, right? And I I feel the same way, right? Like you're like once you're in something like that, like when you're in a pandemic and you don't really you can't just do what you've always done, like you're forced to look at it in a in a different way from a fresh perspective, right? And you're forced to actually make those decisions to deal with the issues that are going on around you. Like you don't you can't just like oh, I'll phone it in and wait. Like you, you especially for you, you couldn't wait. Like getting shut down, things are changing rapidly. You have to change, almost have to change your whole business model. Absolutely. No, it was that, that sense to a focus. It was all of a sudden we were sloughing off things. Like, okay, this line doesn't make sense. These products don't make sense. This is too complicated. You know, so simplifying things. Yeah. What is your favorite thing at Belcampo? If you're ordering, mm. what's your order? I always get, well, I mix it up sometimes, but my favorite is Keto Bun Belcampo Burger. And we do the keto buns with a company called Misfits, which is based up in NorCal. It's delicious almond and coconut flour bun. And then we have our half pound Belcampo burger, which I always get medium rare. And that is just bomb. It's really filling. It's really delicious. It's just like, I think about it. I'm like, mm, it's like such a nami, like umami rich taste. And that burger I did at the very start of the company. So that's of my first menu of the company in 2012. That burger was the recipe that I did that's, I think, the only thing that's still on the menu from that first menu. Now, the fast burger I did in 2014 um, when I opened up in downtown Los Angeles to have a more affordable, because that's that, that area, it's like that we wanted to have a, also like things that just in general, broader range of price points. So I launched the Fasty at a $5 price point with three ounces of meat. And now, of course, it's a bit more expensive and we do it typically with a double patty. But those were the two kind of like leaders. And, you know, we started the company really with more of like, it was going to be kind of a simple cafe, built it up and people wanted like, this is like expensive meat. It, we want it in a fancier format. We then pivoted to make it fancier, but then the world evolved, right? And folks that were interested in health and fitness got interested in grass-fed and finished. And all of a sudden there was a demand for more like fast, casual with prime, with really prime ingredients, and that's where we've landed now, which is basically like fast casual with top-notch ingredients. 
What do you think the secret to entrepreneurship is? I mean, everything that you're talking about, it's it's so entrepreneurial. You said you launched a burger for $5 downtown. This is like very entrepreneurial. What's the secret? To me, it's taking the time to observe, but also having an opinion. Okay, so anytime that you're not just doing this of like, this person did that, this person did that, you're not having a new idea. You can benchmark, you can be inspired by things, but like to have a new idea, you need to be courageous. And honestly, they're not always like consensus driven. You can have a, this is sort of the thing we need to do, but it's like, have an opinion. And if you fail, get it over with. I've failed at so many products of so many products that we've just ditched over the years. And then we have some that are still here to the day, right? I mean, but there's so many, it's like, what's the ratio? One to 60 of products that make it past one year. So if you're, and that's like the cycle for me as we're looking at which products stick and things. But if you're launching it, be attentive to your own ego. Do you notice this with Instagram? This is going to be relevant to product, I swear. But like when you go and you do an Instagram post, that's more about like, I'm feeling a little bit insecure today. So I'm going to do this thing. Like it never does as well when you're coming at it an energy of your own ego. That's my experience. When I come at a post or anything that I'm doing where I'm like, I really want to share this awesome thing that I care about. I've started to, to gut check everything I post online to be like, is there any part of me that like is needing like an ego scratch by doing this? There's a pat in the back, ditch it, right? And the same thing goes with products and with concepts. If there's part of it that's with ego, be careful because you know what? You're going to stick to defending that product or that idea for longer than you should because it's more about your ego than about what the customer needs. And that's something that took me longer to, to learn than I wish I, that I'm comfortable admitting, right? But some things where I'm like, oh, well, the world needs this. And it's like, well, is it your vanity wanting to have this really super cool, unique, particular thing that you develop that people understand is very special? What's the gratification of that? So the growing, the growing up for me has been also like, make this really all about what the customer wants. I feel like one thing that I respect about you so much is you've disrupted a category and you took something that's like burgers and you made it like dynamic. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to come in and shake up a category? Yeah. I mean, that's been the most surprising thing. And I think early on with Bell Campo, everyone's like, you can't do anything innovative in meat. And now there's lots more kind of packaged meat brands that are doing it. But we were the first to really create a brand around a commodity and especially in California. So for me, that, and I think you'll vibe on this, it had to do a lot with like kind of design thinking and being very attentive to look and feel in a way that some people found <laughs> frivolous, <laughs> right? So that's some pushback I got early on was being too obsessive about design and look and feel and how everything, you know, and, and too anal about Sorry. the wrong <laughs> details. And I agree, I did focus on some of the wrong details, like the burger flag has to be this way and the plate has to be this way. But it's like, I was thinking about, well, I want people to take a picture of this burger, but I need to have the brand on it. So that's where the burger flag came from. And that's become an icon for the brand. It was like, pay attention to the details about look and feel. And then the other thing about the about disruption too is like remember that your success is your customers deciding that this thing that they thought of like air this thing that they didn't ever care about is actually something that they want a different level of quality for. That's a really crazy thing. There's not that many categories that haven't been disrupted, but remember when water used to be a thing that nobody was was going to buy, right? Like every category has had this disruption moment. So if you think about like, gosh, I've got to get all these consumers 
to actually pay attention to something that they take for granted and give a hoot about a name that's on it when they've never cared about a name on it before. Wow, like how do I do that? And that means making sure you're paying more attention to the customer facing piece than everything, right? So making sure that, and I noticed this in, in restaurants, you know, you, you build a restaurant, you're like burning through money, getting it all done. And there's so many decisions to be made. And then it's like, you get to the tabletop and you're like, oh my gosh, we only have like $10 left in the budget, right? That's a mistake. Start from the tabletop, start from the things that touch the customer first. One of the things that I think is important, is an important trait for entrepreneurs is, and you kind of touched on this is like, you know, when you fail, get it over with, or like having this resilience, you've, you've had a little bit of controversy this year like going through that one, maybe just like to talk about it a little bit into the audience. Like, how do you, how do you weather storms? Like there's a lot of people that they get started on something. They get a little bit of flack, they get a little pushback and like, oh my God, I'm done. I'm not going to push it any further. But you, I think you have to be able to kind of weather these storms as an entrepreneur in order to get what you want out of your business. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a really, a really challenging situation where we had an, an expose about some sourcing issues in one of our locations that was exposed by an employee. So the world found out about an issue in, in my company at the same time that I found out about it. So it was a it was the the worst case scenario. And what we did is, you know, our CEO and I and it, the first thing was like figure out if it's is real, right? And then make sure we really get our hands around it. And so we actually really slowed down on I, the first thing I did was issue an apology. As soon as I realized that there was some veracity to it, I was like get out there and apologize and own it and be accountable which is the, One of the, the absolute things. first thing to do. Yeah. Then we actually took, I think, more time than our customers wanted to really fully document what exactly had happened. And, and you know, the magnitude of the issue, it, it was an issue, but it was social media isn't the best way to completely factually capture everything, right? So there was definitely elements of it that it got virality because it was so surprising because of the nature and the purity of the brand. So we made sure that we really got our, our head around it. While we were doing that, there's tons of press coming out that were all just telling part of the story. So that was hard to see. But I think, you know, my sense of it was like, we built Belcampo by inches. Of course, there are missteps. Own that. And there have been other missteps. And this is one that was, you know, particularly egregious and definitely was related and amplified because of COVID and the lack of on-site management, right? And that it had to do with sourcing in one location that had gone off the rails. And Honestly, in the order of things that could have happened in COVID, it was understandable. But it was about taking a step back and saying, hey, being reactive to this isn't in the service of the longer term. And that's hard because you emotionally, you want to say, I'm so sorry, I'm fixing, I'm doing this. And we actually, it was a big lesson for me to say, step back and get an assessment of it and then share a really thoughtful response that's as focused on the exact what happened, but also it was more about like, yeah, the company needed a compliance officer and we put that role into place. Well, I, th- I you think know, the so way you responded steps. was incredible, right? I think like a, so many companies that they are reactive and they get defensive and they get their egos involved and they don't do like they don't do the proper investigation research, see what's going on. If you're running a large scale business, there's always going to be things that happen, right? And like the big, the, what I always tell people is like, it's constantly looking for that room to improve and get better. Like you can't, not everything's always going to go the way you want, especially as you start to open more offices as more people have more decision makers. It's it's not as streamlined as people would like. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's not like this past 18 months has been 
massive growth for the company. I mean, it's been like <laughs> scotch tape in a lot of ways, right? And that's part of the issue. But I think it's been a, a situation where the company's had to pivot and grow and focus on so many different things that it was deeply, deeply discouraging. But it was also in light of what had happened. I was like, well, I understand the factors that led to this. And I also understand that it's fixable. I understand that the bigger picture is not broken. And that's the story that I need to tell customers. And I also think it's like the company is set out to scale regenerative agriculture. And we're at now, we've grown into being a you know, community of climate positive farms. Belcampo in 2020, net of everything, net of all the cow farts and the FedEx boxes and the trucks and the restaurant, everything, sequestered 24,000 tons of carbon. A meat company. Yep. No, I mean. And it's like that, like doing that vision, building that, it's like, it's a big thrust. It's going to be a long-term change. We've got to fix the climate. And I sort of know it's like the biggest service I can do to my customers is own the problem, but really focus on fixing the problem and keep focus on that North Star, which is like, can we make meat climate positive? Yeah, no, I think like, you know, because people knew about our relationship, obviously, and you being on the show, like people asked us what we thought. And I was like, I'm going to wait to talk to Anya because I know the mission behind what you're doing and I know who you are. I know what you've built. And so like, I knew that that I, I knew you were going to handle that the way you did. Which is why, like, and, and yeah. I think you handled it well. And I think also, that's why like, you still have all your customers and why people are still happy. Everyone that's like anyone that's like judging any of this, when you're building a massive company, like Michael said, it's not, not there's not going to be perfection. And that's boring if there was. There's going to be things, you got a lot of employees, there's a lot of different personalities, things to handle. Things are going to happen and then you pivot and you fix it and you're doing what you're doing, which is so smart. You said you're actually fixing the problem and going towards that North Star. Now, when you look at like sustainable and, he- and tell me if I'm saying this wrong, sustainable health, like pasture-raised meat companies, right? Like you are, you guys are probably one of the North Stars of people that are doing it right. And so I think like whenever there's a, a kink in an in armor for somebody who is doing it right, like you're like, people are quick to judge, but like there's a lot of other others in, in this business that probably should be looked into before. Bell Campo. That, that's a hard one. Let's go to McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, but, well, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's I'll a lot of other people that, that need some fixing. We're not a commodity-based company. Yeah. We started from one farm. That farm is 27,000 acres. We leased another 11,000 acres. We have 3,500 cows and about 1,000 pigs. We have, we're now a community of farms. We have a few others that we, like all of our poultry is now raised on a farm two hours south of us to our specs, pastured, all the different things. So that, I lay that out to say, that's not a commodity. Sure. <laughs> so I'm not in a position where I can say, well, I'm buying my oats from here and I'm buying my oil from here. And this building that whole supply chain, it's a volatile business and we are the first people scaling it. So the issues that we had actually weren't related to scaling that, right? But I think broadly, the bigger premise that you raise, which is like, yeah, it's really challenging and it's important, I think, in business, like in relationship to say, yeah, messed up really focus on fixing it, intend to be a thousand percent transparent on fixing it. And we understand that breach of trust was too much. I understand that. There's not like, I'm not there trying to claw back. I'm just saying, hey, we're, we're trying to scale regenerative agriculture and make it widely available through our own shops and other channels. 
And then COVID's been complex because it, it hasn't been easy. There have been moments where it's like, wow, this is crazy and amazing in the best way. And then the other times where it's like for two weeks, there's nobody in stores. So there's been particular challenges associated with this time that I just encourage everybody to be, to think back on and be aware of in, in light of, of our issues and other companies. You know, just it's, a, it's been a volatile time in the future. Well, I know a lot of like, one thing that worries me about this kind of like attack culture, and people get so mad at me for talking about this, but I don't really care. In my opinion, people people like yourself that are doing this and doing your best to put good into the world and change things and update things. Like when we create a culture that attacks people like you or attacks people that are trying to do good, innovative things, it, it some people start to look at them like, well, why even bother? Like, why? Like, okay, like just leave it as it is then. And like, to me, that hurts innovation. It, it hurts the growth of the entire community, the entire world for, for, cause it demotivates people from saying, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there and try to push against the grain and try to do something differently. And a lot of times you look at people, I talk to a lot of founders like, yeah, I was doing this, but like with the climate, like I'm just not even going to do it. I, I just ran into, I won't say who he was. He was a judge and he's out of New York City. He started a, at a very successful law firm, very successful lawyer, moved on up, and now he's a judge. And he's like, you know, I started this because I wanted to start giving back to the community and presiding over cases and helping people. He's like, now with everything that's going on and how crazy everything is, like, it's kind of like, why do this? Like, I'm just going to go to my place and retire and like not participate anymore. And that's disheartening to hear because you got a guy here whose intention is to help people, but it's so crazy now and people are kept giving him so much flack. He's like, you know, I don't even want to bother anymore. I think there has to be a correction. Now, this is an independent entirely of Belcampo's kind of scrutiny, but I there has to be a correction around the way we're contributing on social media. Because I recently read in Science Magazine that people are 70% more likely to retweet false information. Oh, yeah even if they know it's false. And there's like this reward Ugh. for amplifying things. And there's also a reward for negative comments. And that it's just, there's something culturally where this is like, I personally have just noticed like there's so much more negativity than joy. And if you think about it, if you went through your day-to-day -day interactions being as negative as most people are on social media, you'd be totally ostracized, but you're allowed to in that anonymity. So this is something where I think it's, there has to be some type of correction. And I, th I think you see it around bullying too. Like people are saying, hey, this is unhealthy. But I, I think there's a chance to say like the great stories are about people learning from errors. I mean, gosh, like what I've learned from my mistakes is so much greater than what I've learned from my successes. Yeah, it's messed up. I mean, like when I was a kid and there was bullies and like someone was bullying, like me, when I used to get in a lot of trouble with this, like, like I would just like hit back, right? Like and it got, when I was a kid, it got me a lot of trouble. But the problem is now is you, you do this anonymously. Nobody can hit back. It's just this constant thing of getting bullied by all these different, and, they, and they're the loudest voices, right? And these platforms, like you said, they reward these voices because they're sensational, right? And they create this controversy and they create this feedback where somebody has to respond in a way that is defending themselves. So it's like this constant back and forth. You see this big divide in the country and this like us versus them mentality. And I think what people forget is like, in a society, everybody's in this together and what's not good for society is not good for anybody, right? Like this, the, I, I point out on social, sometimes the direction we're going in is going to be to the detriment of all of us. It's not going to be like one side wins eventually. Like everybody's mm -hmm. going to lose. Right. And so I don't know, I guess what I'm saying is that instead of being so quick to attack, like take a step back. And one thing that I've learned in COVID is you get an email that says urgent or something has to be solved right away. It's like, no, I'm going to sit back for a minute. I'm going to wait. Like 30, 40 minutes, maybe I made a day, two days, just mm -hmm. to form an opinion and think and like say, okay, is this really urgent? Is this, does this really need to be addressed? Is there something I'm not seeing? So many people don't do that anymore. It's just like react, react, react. Well, that's a really good point around business too. I think there isn't enough encouragement to people to 
take a beat. Yeah, it's and always like, to, go, go, go. Exactly. One of the smartest pieces of advice I've ever gotten from an entrepreneur was Keith Cunningham. He wrote The Road Less Stupid, I think it's called. And um, very, very successful guy. And he said he schedules thinking time into his calendar. And just to wrap this episode around, you kind of said that in the beginning, your thinking time is in the ice bath and the sauna. You have to have thinking time without your phone, without people around to be able to just think. And that sounds stupid, but once you really start to to think about that, the thinking time is like what makes creative ideas happen. Well, there's a moment in your career as you grow when, you know, I started out as a passionate culinarian, very interested in health and culinary and wellness, built a brand that provides products that really support that. Six, seven years into that brand, I was didn't have time to cook for my family, right? And the great joy of my life now has been an ability to come full circle back to that. But I recognize and I regret not doing things a bit differently where I was able to keep that through line, that continuity. You know, of course, you know, it's like you might do some things like for performance effectively, but like the real ingenuity and the real creativity that comes from me of doing my craft was missing. It's like a through line that was missing for a few years there because I became so responsive and so reactive and so much have to respond to every email in one hour and like prove that I could be that person. And and it's like, well, in retrospect, that wasn't the best and highest usage of my brain. And so now it's interesting to have the space creatively to have incredible ideas. And this is like something where I think a lot of entrepreneurs just to say like, where can I add the most value and how do I take the most of my time and add the most value to it, right? So like, how do I use most of my time adding the most value as opposed to doing things that other people could do, being in meetings because my ego needs that, being in meetings that I'm doing as kind of like a people pleaser because my friend wants me to meet their friend and have coffee about nothing, you know, like all of that stuff, like that's been a really, and, and COVID really fast forwarded my thinking around that too, because all of a sudden all this FaceTime was gone and all this chit chat was gone. But in that time, I sort of realized it's like, well, to add, to be my best and highest self, A, I need to like start every day with massive joy and bring joy and like volatile energy and happiness to everything that I do and to people around me. That's like part of my personality and how I want to show up. And then I also have to practice my craft and infuse what I do with my craft. Now I'm 10 years into this business and I've been in entrepreneurship for like 20 years, right? So it's a privilege that I, I'd, you know, I've earned over the time that I've done this. But I think it's something like throughout, it's like finding a way to keep the thread of your original joy if you're the creative role in things, as opposed to being needing to be the fully functional on the business side and, and hold all pieces of it. I feel like you're saying my entire career story. This, that's you start out doing what you love to do. For me, it's to create, and then you you're, you look around one day and you're like, I'm not creating. You have to own your time back. I started saying I'm only doing calls on Wednesdays. I don't mm-hmm. want to be on the phone all week. That's not why I did this. I'm only doing Zooms on this day. I only want to do interviews this day. So you have that space in your calendar to create. And I think it's so true. You almost go through a phase where you're saying yes to everything, and you start to get depressed. Because you're not doing what originally fuels you. And to get back to that, you have to say no. And that's a shift. It's a big shift. And it's really 
hard because people you're saying no to are important. But it's the most important is the foundation of the craft. And like you said, it's probably very intimate and special that you're able to cook your family dinner. I mean, that's special. And it feels to me so indulgent where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm done now. Like two, do I really get to just go cook or do I really just get to go think about this problem? And I, it's like, it's brought me so much joy. And it's something that I think if I'd been able to block out those pieces of time earlier, that would have been a really good move. Now, when we're hustling, we're hustling, right? And we all know what that's like. There's times when you're like, everything's on the edge. It's very fragile. Things are going to fall apart. You got to show up and do all the different things. Like we've been there. When you build a business, like we build businesses, you know, you start with $1, the first dollar of revenue. And then everyone after that, like you earn every one of those dollars. But you got to also, if you're coming at it as a creative and you come out as the idea person, you have to think about that as your bowl. And as you're like this cup that needs to stay full, because that also in, in that ability to have that cup be full as a creative helps your whole team feel invigorated. And they're like, I can functionally like focus on these functional details because there's other people really with this holding this bigger vision. It's a way to think about your, now it's like self-care is one way to think about it, but it's like, there's a way to carve out the space that you need to keep your ideas and energy around things replenished. Protect your peace. I think one thing that people got confused with with hustle culture is like hustling doesn't mean moving fast all the time, right? Like you still have to be thoughtful and focused and you still have to make the, the right decisions. And I think we got into this like, go, 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 react to this, react to that. And and what you don't realize is like by doing that and making poor decisions, you have to go back and clean up so much more and take so much more time to actually fix any like mistakes you you, you make. So now I've just been like, okay, even if something's urgent, I still have to do all of the work that I would, you know, do if it wasn't. Like I have to sit back, think, be thoughtful, and then make the best decision, even if even if something is pressing. Well, also think about your value proposition. Sure. Like think about what do you add when you walk in the room? And then to me, I think, does networking with randos increase your value proposition? No. For me, definitely not. Right? (laughs) Some people it does. Some people love networking. If you're in sales, maybe that's something that's going to actually do it, right? Like, but if you're- For us three at this table, I don't think networking is the right- Does does having meetings about a maybe possible business deal with somebody that's really kind, you know, like there's so many things that you can just say, if you just look at it as like in the same way you look at product and you'd be like, okay, this product is different because of X, Y, and Z attributes that really set it apart from the market. So when we're looking at whatever aspects, the packaging has got to talk about those attributes and, but you're, you look at it in a really clear way. What value does this add? I might look at myself and say, well, what, well, what value do I add when I walk in the room? And then does everything that I do, like in my time, personal, in my relationship, in my family, in my professional life, does that all add up to supporting the the thriving of that? Because that's why I get to walk in the room. Yeah, And it's actually poor business sense to be doing anything that takes away from that value proposition. Yeah. It's just counterintuitive. It doesn't support your personal value proposition. So if you look at it as a lens, like as a product person and say, okay, like, cool, there's this, you know, half day that I've got doing X, Y, and Z things. Are these all laddering up to supporting my value proposition? If not, like clip it, don't do it. You are amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this interview had so much depth. It went everywhere. You guys, everyone follow Belcampo, follow Anya. Tell us where to find you. Tell us how to order. I personally would order, if you're ordering e-com, the bone broth. I love the beef bone broth and the meatballs. Yeah, my yeah, meatballs. They're really good. I'm doing a chicken meatball now. Too. I can't wait. It's coming I, out in just a couple weeks. We're huge fans. Huge awesome. fans. I, and the and, ribeye. And there's so many things to order. Also, if you're in LA, you have to try the fast burger with a bun and without. 
Tell us where to find you. Pimp yourself out. Okay. Belcambo.com is all the e-com offerings. You can go to Belcambo.com to find out where our five restaurants in NorCal and SoCal are. You can also buy us at our amazing grocery partner, Erwan in LA and Metropolitan Markets in um, the Pacific Northwest. And then um, me personally, I'm at Anya Fernald and Belcampo's Instagram is at Belcampo Miko. And your cookbook, Home Cooked. And my YouTube channel coming soon is Anya's Kitchen. Love it. It's your all cookbook fire is absolutely beautiful. What should what recipe should we start with? Should I start with a I'm not salsa the best. verde? Okay. That's it. Okay. But I want you to do carnivore with like a couple little tweaks and whistles and just For try 10 it days. Out. 10 days. So you can do maybe two, five days, do a Monday through Friday and then take the weekend off, do a Monday through Friday. I'm going to text you about this because okay. I want to know. I, I need to know exactly. And your, what the salsa doing. verde might help you power through the pain of carnivore. Okay. All right. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Come back anytime. Don't forget to pre-order a copy of my new book, Get the Fuck Out of the Sun. There is so many insider tips and tricks on skincare. You guys are going to be obsessed. You can expect routines, products, tips, and insider secrets from 100 plus of the world's best skincare gurus. Of course, peppered in with lots of happy hour conversations with moi, pre-order on Amazon or where books are available. To get the scoop on the book, there's also a whole website called getthefuckoutofthesun.com. 